Welcome to another year of the Sexy Aging Podcast. It's 2024 and this podcast was launched in March 2021. So that's nearly three years of conversations. If we haven't met, my name is Tracy Minoknuku and I'm your host and passionate advocate for women's health with a hefty side order of menopause conversation. I'm kicking off this year with an absolutely fantastic guest and someone who I admire so much. Dr. Pramita Damadaran is a leading OBGYN in Malaysia, and she actually delivered my son 11 years ago. She is now the leading authority on menopause care in Malaysia, so if you are listening from Malaysia and you need some help, well, now you know where to go. She authored the book, The Clinical Practice Guidelines for the Management of Menopause in Malaysia, and she has the best insights on managing menopause in a multicultural society. So if you are Muslim, Chinese or Indian, Dr. Pramita well and truly understands your menopause challenges. I just want to acknowledge the support of my sponsor, Nature's Help, for this podcast. Let's go! Welcome to the Sexy Aging Podcast. You are my very first guest for 2024. Way to go. And um, I would like you to introduce yourself, Dr. Pramita. We actually have a bit of a history, but I'd prefer that you just kick off and tell us a little bit about yourself. And obviously, we're in the menopause space, so go for it. <laughs> so I am a consultant obstetrician and gynecologist. I have been a specialist since way back, 1996. So very seasoned in that sense. Um um and delivered like 3,000, 4,000 babies. I can't even keep count at the moment. Um, but what was interesting was the fact that right after my specialization, um, my boss told me to start off the menopause clinic where I was working, where I had studied, you know. And so I started off the menopause clinic, and I think that was my first foray into menopausal health. And I actually began to love what I was doing. And I think that was, um, that you know, and I felt really good about it. Um, and I had a great boss. You know, he was one of those, it doesn't matter, you're a junior, go out there, do what you need to do, I will support you. And you need mentors like this at the end of the day because they really pushed you. And um, right now he's smiling all the way and being very happy about oh. where I am. So that's really, really great. Um, but to cut a long story short, um, uh, you know, we started off the menopause clinic. It was doing well. We did some research. I left to the private sector and I continued doing menopausal health in a, in a different way, you know, in a slower way. Part of the society in Malaysia and along the way, um, you know, um, more and more companies got in. But of course, the WHI in 2001 really shot things down and then slowly we have come up to where we are. Um we have now uh, dedicated web pages. We have our clinical practice guidelines out. So menopause is actually coming back with a big oomph in this country. Um, yeah. And I'm part of it and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the story. Okay, even in that short amount that you've shared, I've already got questions, but I just want to fill in a few gaps just yes. for the listeners. So um, for those that haven't heard any podcast episodes with Sexy Aging before, I used to live in Malaysia and Dr. Pramita delivered my son when I was 42 years old. So I had a geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> I hate that word. I hate it too. <laughs> And you were um, my obstetrician and you delivered my son, Sol. And that was when we first met each other. That would be like 11 years ago. 
And, um, and then I continued to live in Malaysia and I started to go through menopause, but I did not know that's what it was. So never heard of the word perimenopause, did a massive deep dive to try to find out what the heck was this that was happening to my body, my mind. And then COVID happened and a couple of, I think 18 months into COVID and we moved back to New Zealand. Now I'm back in New Zealand and I'm going fully, fully into the menopause space to help woman figure it out understand you know how to figure out their nutrition and their health and all this sort of stuff and i come back to malaysia and i'm doing a retreat right midlife woman's retreat and i'm there and one of the first questions i get asked is do you know any doctors that specialize in menopause care and i did not know that it was you <laughs> so someone in the retreat said oh i think it's dr Prometa," and i'm like hold up is this <laughs> dr, dr. Prometa at bangsa hospital who delivered my baby and within a couple of hours you and i were connecting on whatsapp having a conversation which meant to be so here we are and now you're on my podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so good so then i came in to visit you in the office and you were so um so generous with your time because I know how busy you are and you gave me your book so tell me about the book well um I think the the book is actually the clinical practice guidelines um, of management of menopause in Malaysia and it is something that we wanted to do for a long time so I, I um, led a team of you know like-minded individuals who put this together um, and it was through COVID. So at the end of the day, a lot of it was done by me sitting at the computer and there were no patients who came into the clinic. Um, but what I personally wanted to do, and that was my mission, was the fact to bring out a book with a little bit of data about, um, about menopause in Malaysia. We don't have much. We've got a long way to go, but we have to start somewhere. And I, and I believe that you know we have to make some inroads so, you know, compiling a little bit of data about, about um, you know, the hot flushes and, and uh, the night sweats and the joint pains. And along with that, bringing in Malaysian data about the non-communicable diseases, um, stroke levels, um, you know, venous thromboembolism, just bringing it all together and, and, you know, having that as part of it. And then talking about menopause generally and how it affects women. And the most important part is the second half, where it actually talks about um, what women can do, you know. So it's it's more of the lifestyle changes and you know the the complementary medicine and and you know what well would herbal medication work, would supplements work, and then that big chapter about menopausal hormone therapy because I do believe it's just not hormones. It is you know looking at the woman as a whole and sometimes just tweaking her balance, you know, and tweaking her her eating habits and her stress yeah. levels, you might just get her much better without anything more to do. So it is looking at a woman as a whole and then taking her through the next 30 years. Life expectancy in this country is beyond 75. Um, and so if you have a woman who is menopausing at 50, one third of her life is in the menopause. So when I look, and that's what I tell my patients, and I said, I like, look at you. And I said, okay, you are now say 48, 50. I would like you to be as healthy in the next 30 to 35 years of your life. And that's what this journey is all about. And that's what's so important. It's just not, oh, I'm menopause. I'm dealing with it now. No, my dear, it is 
next 30, 40 years of your life? What can we do together to keep you healthy? So that's my personal journey. And that's what I would like my patients to do or what my, you know, the women that come to see me. Yeah, we're, our missions are completely aligned. So I often speak about what does the rest of your 30 or 40 years look like? Do you know that you've actually lived longer than you've got in front of you? So how do you want to do that? And I see the menopause as a little bit of a blip. So it's a blip in, you know, a blip in your health to make you kind of step away, pause, reflect and think about, okay, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to dial into that's going to give me credible science-backed information to support my health in the future? You're one of those people, you're a, you're a groundbreaking doctor in menopause in Malaysia. I wish that I had known you or, you know, I wish that I'd known about what you were doing when I lived in Malaysia because I truly had no one to talk to. So when I left and, you know, yeah. So I'm now thinking about all the women and the friends and stuff that are going through this. Can you just give a bit of a landscape around how women find you, how women know that you're the person to talk to? Like, what are you seeing and what symptoms are they coming to you for specifically? That's four questions. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, pick, pick and choose. <laughs> I, I will tell you a story. So yeah. I think um, the, the, the clinical practice guidelines that we brought out last year was in many ways a big thing because it opened up not only healthcare professionals' minds, it opened up women around. There was a lot of publicity around that launch of that, that guidelines. Um, and suddenly everyone thought, okay, all right, we know what to do or we know how to go about it. There was a lot of interest from even GPs and, and uh, you know, doctors from other specializations who suddenly realized that menopause was not as simple as they thought. It was just not a phase that, oh, you're growing old, let it be. And, you know, um, so that generated a lot of interest. So that was number one. Number two, I must say that the government is also doing a few things and trying to wake everyone up. So I must give them a bit of, you know, credit in the sense that they are um, exposing the, the risks of uh, non-communicable diseases for men and women as we get older, and we know that women are subject to it. So that is now coming in a big way, and especially for working women, you know, they've got data for that. Um, and I think there are a lot more studies that are slowly coming up, um, which are also going to expose um, a lot of data in this country. Again, I'll be the first person to say that it is not enough, um, but we have to start somewhere and hopefully with more awareness and with more um, uh, you know, data that is, that is pointing into the right direction, we can get the correct funding to have nationwide studies and go from there. So now to answer one of those questions that you, you asked me just now about how do people find me? So I did this little test the other day. I just went to Google yeah. and just put their menopause in Malaysia and that was my face. So I guess, you know, uh, you know, um, I don't know whether that's good or bad, but I guess that's one of the ways to find me, you know, uh, that's out there. But a lot of women are actually, it's in many ways, it's word of mouth, right? I mean, you yeah. know, it's more of the fact that um, uh, dealing with someone going through the perimenopause or menopause is very different from dealing with someone who's coming in for a for a pregnancy checkup. Yeah, 
who is coming in for a routine examination. Because here you have a, usually in the normal scenario, you have a woman who is a little bit hesitant, doesn't know what to say because, you know, she's not sure of what's happening in her body. And in many ways, it's a gentle approach into talking to her and finding out what's actually going on behind that scene, you know, in the head there. Yeah. Uh, it takes time. It takes patience. It may not, every, you know, everything might not come out in that first visit. It might be the second visit. So it is more of building that rapport with that woman and trying to understand what she's going through. And, and also probably talking about your own personal stories and what you went through, because that you know brings about a bit more empathy. Um, and then going from there, because menopausal visits usually take time. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, can, can take a lot more time and definitely needs a lot of patience because you really want to then look at that woman as a whole. And as I said, it's not just, oh, you come here, I'll give you the hormones. That's not yeah. it. No. It's yeah. not. It's about asking her about how she's handling work, family, what else is going on in her mind, how she handled previous pregnancies, postnatal depression, what's there in the genetics. It's a huge thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I really, really love your approach, Dr. Pramita. I think you're, you know, that that's kind of cutting edge stuff. And I've spoken to another doctor who has very similar approach and she's in New Zealand very very popular doctor and most people that I refer to her just say she is she takes the time to get to know me you know that's what they say and then we get on to the problem solving yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and in many times they would email me they would call in for a chat which is fine you know because they just need that other they need someone to reach out to which I'm very happy about doing yeah yeah, it's so cool. What, what more questions were there? I can't remember. Yeah, anymore. no, I'm I'm like forgotten as well. Um, oh, no, I do remember. So um, just from a, a perspective of a woman who is maybe feeling some kind of way, not sure that it's menopause, makes an appointment with you because maybe she already, you know, she already sees you on the regular, comes in, it seems kind of agitated, confused. Oh, I've got all these things. And they kind of lay it out and you're all, you're already thinking ding 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 you know thinking about the things that she's telling you what are you sort of hearing generally from women that are coming to you that they're not sure that it's menopause but what are the the first symptoms that they kind of list i think sleep is one of those important things that actually change in the very beginning um and a lot of them in in this country i can tell you that it's not so much the hot flushes that yeah um, it's more of the joint pains. They get this, this achiness and joint pains. So a lot of them might come in and tell me that, you know what, I'm just not feeling quite right, especially just before my periods. My periods are not too bad or they're slightly delayed, but you know, I'm feeling a dip before the periods and I'm not the same. Um, uh, you know, am I going into depression? A lot of women think that, you know, um, you know, they, they are having some mental health issues and, and that's what's causing them to feel that way or they're having some palpitations a lot of them might go and see the cardiac doctors because they're having palpitations <laughs> i would say go because you know what what's wrong with the cardiac checkup there's no harm right yeah so i i would always say you want to go and see the the cardiologist go ahead do your stress test do whatever make yourself happy that there is nothing there and then come back because it just makes you feel better that you've sort of ticked that box yeah you know yeah. 
um, a lot of them come in with indigestion problems mm. because they suddenly find that there are certain foods that they can can't have, and that one of the first things to to look out for is the dairy. They can't, you know, they suddenly say, "Oh, I'm suddenly lactose intolerant." Um, some of them uh, come in with, and, and and because of that, they go and see the gastroenterologist. <laughs> but, you know, so they've gone to see other doctors, and then they're coming to see me because now I've trained my colleagues very well. You've sought out your your side, and then send them to me. Yeah. Because, um, uh, it might be just the hormonal changes that's causing it. A lot of them have allergies, sensitivities to skin. So they're coming in with other issues, to be very honest. And then, you know, we, we talk about it and then we go from there. And then, you know, it's a lot of making them understand and accept that this is a hormone change. And many women are, they cannot accept it. They cannot accept that this is menopause and there's always this fight about you know, how social media has brought up menopause to be a very negative thing. So yeah. when you can't accept menopause, it's always a fight with the body. Um, and then you get all your symptoms coming in big time. But once yeah. accepting it and say, okay, this is a change of life. You know, let me see what I can do to tweak things up. So I can't have dairy, never mind. I'll cut it down. You know, it when you sort of accept it a little bit more, then things work out much better. But it's a it's a whole shift in that in that thinking process and what they do. They need to try to sleep earlier. A lot of them would exercise at in the evenings, and I say, sorry, just change your. You have to change your exercises to morning. You don't want to wake up at night. You know, yeah. so a lot of small small things that sometimes it's just talking to them and making them accept that this is a hormone change. Whether you are starting your menopause journey or you've been here for some time, if you are looking for natural menopause support, you would want to consider Nature's Help. Nature's Help specialise in herbal supplementation for women's health and have some fantastic choices for menopause symptoms such as insomnia, anxiety, hot flushes and low libido. I also happen to know that they have some new products launching in 2024 and if you use my code SEXYPOD20, you can access a 20% discount on your order. I've left that link in the show notes, so just tap the link, it'll take you straight to Nature's Help website. I also write blog posts for Nature's Help, so if you're looking for some deep content on women's health and how to support your menopause journey, you can find all the blog posts in their website. Yeah, I remember when we sat down and chatted and we chatted for quite a while and I just felt incredibly aligned that you were so on top of the lifestyle recommendations. And I know that you, I mean, you've been through menopause yourself and I mean, I can't remember how old you are, but I fell, nearly fell off my chair when you did tell me. I'm very proud to say that. <laughs> You're six, 60. I just turned 60. Oh, fantastic. And I mean, you look fantastic and you obviously really take care of yourself. And so I know that you've done the work through menopause to implement the changes to look after yourself. You are the walking embodiment of what a post-menopausal woman in her prime health should be, right? Yeah. And I, I, I still have a lot of weight to shoot, but I'm, I'm medically good, which, you know, yeah. I've done my, I, I'm very proud that at 60, I went through this whole barrage of tests and I'm clear, which I'm yeah. really proud about. Yeah. Yeah. And really cognitively clear. I think that's one of the things that I'm most excited about in the postmenopausal stages because there is some research that indicates that 
obviously perimenopause can be really challenging on your cognitive function but apparently when you sort of start to get past that and you make those lifestyle changes and you do them for long enough then your cognitive function kind of comes comes back and you're like more inspired more clear on what you want to achieve or you know do with the rest of your life uh, and that's exciting that's the cool part and that's why we need to demystify menopause and take away the fear factor right yeah now cognitive um, function I think one of the most important things that every woman needs to understand is that sleep is important and you can see it yourself you know we all okay let's say we have seven days in a week and five days you sleep well and those two days that you don't sleep well you're crap next day you don't function very well and cognition is bad at that time but if you have a good night's sleep you are feeling on top of the world the next yeah. day Trying to get sleep in, I find, is the most important thing. Because if you sleep well, the day goes better. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You think better, you function better, everything sort of jives in your head. And, and that is, and things are so clear. But you're right. You know, personally, I feel, um, and, I, and I'm never hesitant to say this, that I have done more with, you know, for myself after menopause than I have done before that. Um, not that I was not doing anything before that. I was doing a lot of things and, you know, uh, publishing, I mean, uh, bringing out a lot of journals. But after menopause, my brain's in a different, it, it, it's in a different era. You know, it's like, I feel very young in my head and I, and I, and I, I you know, it might be the lifestyle changes. It might be the fact that things are much more clearer for me. So, all is not lost at all. You know what? You can do so much. And I've got so much going on right now. Um, I'm not stopping. Yeah, I love it. It's amazing. Your energy is like next level. <laughs> and you're so inspirational. I, re you know, I like really appreciate what you're doing for all the women in Malaysia. Because, you know, when I, I left and I started thinking about the women that I knew that are about the same age as me. And, and I knew they were struggling, but we were not having a conversation on menopause so my next question is is menopause in malaysia still a taboo topic or is it because you're talking about it all the time you don't think so <laughs> oh it is a taboo tab topic it is okay first of all we need to look at the fact that malaysia is multi-ethnic okay so you have the ethnic variations. so you have ethnic variations you have socioeconomic variations so all this is now going to affect how a woman goes through menopause so and, and and i'm biased because i'm living in an urban area um i we don't have data so much on the rural areas i would really love rural area data i would really love the indigenous population data because that's what's going to tell you what's happening out there um but i can tell you right now that when i look at the three main ethnic groups in this country um, and I'm going to extrapolate this from a, a study that I'm doing right now. Yay. Okay. Yeah. And, um, uh, this is, again, very raw data, very raw data. Uh, we've still got about three months of three to four months of collection to do. But I'm looking at women who are working between 40 to 60 who are going through the menopause. Okay? Right. Looking at how they are actually... Uh, going through it in terms of their symptoms, in terms of how they're coping with it um, and, and various other aspects. So I've got the ethnic group variation. I've got the socioeconomic group variation. So that's going to be really interesting data that's going to come out next year. 
um, because of the fact that no other country in the world can do it like this. Yeah, okay. I mean, with the multiple ethnicities, right? Yeah. So um, just for the listeners, like if they're not aware, we're talking about um, Muslim Malaysians, uh, Chinese Malaysians and Indian Malaysians, of yeah. which they all have completely different practices and lifestyles, different foods, different um, attitudes, different working system. Like it's all different, <laughs> right? So um, in terms of the ethnic, okay, so the Muslims, um, they actually embrace menopause. To be very honest, say that for them, it's a they they it's it's a different phase of life that they go through. Um, they like the fact that they don't have the periods because then they would do their religious pilgrimages to Mecca, and and they like that journey through that. So it's yeah. a very accepting society. So they are supposed to accept their symptoms and move on. Now you have the Indians who also don't like having periods because it's also for them a time to go to the temples. And usually you don't go to the temples when you have a period. Yeah. So again, they don't, but they are now stuck with the fact that, yes, they are going through the problems. Yes, they don't want the periods, but they are having their problems and, and not knowing where to go. Then you have the Buddhists uh, or the Chinese who can be Christians, they can be Buddhists. Um, and, and they are now the, the main group that's actually suffering. Okay. Yeah. You can see that with the data that's coming in right now. So with this data, and again, I must say this is very, very raw data. Um, and this data, now I've got about, I think as of yesterday, 930 respondents, a big group already, um, but I'm, I'm aiming more. Um, so it's actually showing me that in this big group, 20% of women are actually suffering through menopausal symptoms at work. And that's okay. about the same as what the overseas data is. Um, and out of and, and about 10% of these women actually have thought about leaving work or thinking about taking time off work or have already taken time off work. And and you know, about 10%, one in 10 women are doing that. Now yeah. that's, I find that really, really sad because 10% is a huge number in the workforce. It's huge. And these are women who are growing old at their growing older at their workplace, and they're probably, you know, reaching a very good level at their work and probably producing a lot. And now they feel that they are threatened by the younger population, you know, and, mm. and they can't voice out whatever feelings or whatever symptoms that they are going through because they feel threatened by the younger ones. Yeah. So in silence. And so how do they then manage it? Either leave work. Or they take time off to take a break and see whether that would help them. And that's yeah. really sad. Now, when you look at the ethnic variations, again, you find, I said 10% just now, but what the raw data is actually showing me is that in the Muslim community, it's 5%. Okay. So then raw data, we've got big numbers to go through. We've got to analyze it again through socioeconomic groups and things like that. But it's so interesting. It is really interesting to see where this data is going through. So, yeah, so have me here one year down the line and, and I can give you more info about it. Would absolutely love to because I have done a few interviews on the differences in the ethnicities when it comes to menopause. And, yeah, we had a similar conversation. I spoke with a um, Muslim advocate of menopause in the UK and she spoke about the same thing about the acceptance 
of menopause and you know being a stage of their life that they were accepting of so that was really cool to hear that my curiosity is in the chinese community just trying to get more data more information information there and you're starting to um get the cogs moving in my head <laughs> so i actually i'm going to throw something at you that's a bit left field and it's from a personal experience so when i had babies late okay so i had my first one at 35 and after that, I had multiple miscarriages. I've never spoken of this on the podcast before. So I had quite a few miscarriages. Um, I lost a baby at five months. Um, yeah, then took a bit of a break <laughs> from trying to get pregnant. So it was pretty rough. And then um, out of the blue, I got pregnant. I was 41. And I was, you can imagine, pretty scared about that now that I realized that being pregnant and being older might not be a fantastic idea. <laughs> um, and luckily, I mean, you were my doctor. So I, I was put on uh, pro progesterone, right? So my thinking is, in hindsight, are we actually going through the beginning of menopause anytime from the age of 35 plus? Because if your body is struggling to get pregnant, and we know that there's something to do with progesterone, which you need to be pregnant, is that is that my question, is that validated? Could it could that be something? Are you seeing this? Because I think women are also withholding having children till later, like I did, because I was establishing a career. Right. And in the Western culture, this is really common. I'm guilty. I had my child at 37. So, you know, so I'm guilty of it, too. <laughs> yeah. We are seeing is not progesterone deficiency. We are seeing estrogen dominance. That's what we are seeing. So okay. we're seeing too much of estrogen and not enough progesterone to balance it. So that's why we are now living, you know, the I actually believe a lot in what we call exoestrogen. Yeah. Which means that you have a lot of estrogens in in um in uh in in all the the waste products that we have. We breathe it in. We drink it in water. So and a lot of the milk that we have are coming from factories where they are actually pumping the cows with a lot of uh, hormones to get more production. So yeah. I little by little by little. It might be a tiny fragment, you know, but over a period of time that actually increases our inherent estrogen levels and whatever we have we are now giving it to our next generation and next generation so what's happening is the risk of breast cancer is going up and younger women fibroids adenomyosis endometriosis gallbladder stones all that is in women men are getting the pot bellies they are getting the high blood pressures the diabetes so a lot of things are happening, which is more estrogen dominant. And thus, the progesterone comes in to balance it up. Got it. Okay. But exactly. I think it's probably not a great idea to have children quite late, is it? <laughs> you know, it's difficult. I did the same thing. I finished my specialization and then I had it. No way could I have had it earlier. No way. Yeah. yeah look back. It was not possible. I had a couple of miscarriages after my son was born. And then I thought, well, that's it. That's it meant to be. And I stopped there. But yeah. a lot of women, actually, I don't blame them. Um, look at what the economy is like. Look at what's happening around the world. They want to establish themselves first. 
um, and then get pregnant and when they're ready. Unfortunately, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Can you get pregnant? Can you have more problems? You know, would you have more problems as you get older? But each one to their own. And then we just support you through it. That's what it is. Yeah. Hey, thank you for answering that question because I've been thinking about that for a really long time and I'm like, I'm going to ask Dr. Pramita. <laughs> um, my final question for today, your hope for menopause care in Malaysia for the future. Like, where do you sort of see things heading in the next five years, for example? Well, to be very honest, when I turned 60, I had a 10-year plan. I have a 10-year plan. Um, bring it. <laughs> my 10-year plan is to actually bring out more nationwide data. So research nationwide, collaborate with the government um, to have more menopause awareness, menopause clinics, um, and, um, you know, and have more nationwide structured program about pap smears and mammograms and blood investigations and life, life change, I mean, like, you know, healthcare. It, it basically changing healthcare to be more um, advantages or more approachable to the menopausal woman. Yeah, amazing. And you will do it, like you're leading it. So I'm expecting, you know, every time I come back, I'm going to see the difference and I'm going to hear the conversations become more open and make it more louder yeah yeah it's awesome thank you so much you are so generous with your time and happy new year yeah happy new year i hope you love that episode as much as i love talking to my guest I know that menopause and women's health as we age can be confusing and confronting and there is nothing better than finding some information or a podcast that you can share with others to support their journey as well. I would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and share with someone who might want to listen. Until next time.